please don't play this for anybody. I don't normally do this. I think we're being set up for an ambush. Dodge this. Ambushed. To be attacked suddenly by someone lying in wait. You say, well, you know, the way you preach causes us and them. It is us and them! Apostate. Someone whose beliefs have changed and who no longer belong to a religious or political group. You side with them, I'll throw you out. Get out! <laughs> Escaping cults. Rejecting delusion. Embracing reality. Breaking the chains. Freeing your mind. And becoming your own person. This is the Ambushed Apostate Podcast. With your host, Seth Henderson. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Ambushed Apostate Podcast. My name is Seth, and as always, thank you for being here and spending some of your valuable time with me while I discuss cults, destructive groups, and the undue influence that comes along with that. Sincerely, I appreciate every one of you. My podcast analytics are showing all of my metrics on a steady incline. I've got nearly 200 unique IP addresses, so that means there are 200 people out there, almost 200 people who have consumed this content, and even if one of you benefited in any way, my job's already been accomplished. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which I'm super excited about, by the way, this is episode number four of our Bite Model Overview series, I do want to cover a couple housekeeping things. I was having a conversation with my brother. He's in media production professionally, so I value his opinion, and he is technically the audio engineer for this podcast. I send him all my episodes. He listens through and cleans them up, does some cool magic, and then I sound decent. So, shouts out to my brother. I love you, dude. But we were discussing the flow of the podcast, and it seems to be just more clinical and dry than I had initially intended when I first had the idea to start it. Maybe I'm being too hard on myself, but if we're being honest, the information that we've covered in these first few episodes have been essentially PhD-level psychology. These are things that a doctor in psychology has studied, researched, and then fleshed out into a thesis. So if you've ever thought that while you've listened to any of these episodes, that's okay. Remember, number one, I'm not a professional, and I'm learning as I go. And number two, this is not about me as a person, or making the most entertaining podcast out there. I'm here to share my story, to learn about destructive environments, and hopefully teach other people how to avoid them. Unfortunately for podcasting, it comes across kind of dry. And my remedy is a new series, which I mentioned, I think, last episode. I have recorded the first episode. It's being edited down now. But this will be a series where I go through and read literature from cult leaders. Because I have personal experience in a cult group, I thought it was only appropriate that we start out with Love Jesus, Hate Church by Steve McCraney. The first episode is literally a brief introduction. The chapter list for the book, the contents of the book, and then the introduction. 
and it is wild. Now, this series is going to be more laid back. The goal of the YouTube channel is going to be, here's where we apply everything that we've learned in this dry, clinical, maybe sometimes boring podcast, and now we're looking at real-world examples. We're looking at the literature word for word, chapter by chapter, and we're going to go through and see what these people say, and then we can use the bite model, we can use the influence continuum, and other resources that we're also going to get into on this podcast to help us determine, is this healthy or is this authoritarian? Do you have free will and free control over your actions and thoughts here, or is there undue influence over your actions, over your thoughts, right? So if that kind of content is something that you may enjoy, again, go to YouTube, search Ambushed Apostate, click subscribe, and upon release of the next podcast episode, we're also going to get episode one of that series at the exact same time. The last thing I want to share before we get into this whole episode is a little experience I had last week. Let me just tell you about this, and this kind of sums up everything I've just talked about as far as you guys, the listeners, and the supporters, and who this channel's for. It just kind of sums everything up. But last week I was at work. I was walking through the parking lot, and I hear someone call my name. I turn around, and I see a minivan with someone sitting in the front seat, but it was dark, it was nighttime, I was exhausted, I couldn't recognize the voice, so I started walking over to the van. I get there, and I still don't recognize this person. And then I looked at their spouse, and then I was like, oh, I know who this is. Instantly, this wave of anxiety hit me, because this person is a former member of the Church Without Walls. As the greetings start, hey, how's it going? I hadn't seen you in forever, how you been? This anxiety hits me because I don't know what this person's been told about me. I don't know what this person thinks or believes about me because of the lies that have been told by my former cult in general, the leader and the members. I was nervous. And this person looked at me and said, Hey, we listen to your podcast, man. You're doing a lot of good work. You can tell you really put your time into research and just wanted to let you know that. And at first I thought they were joking. But then I realized that they were serious and it was like my heart skipped a beat. It was incredible because never did I think I would ever see this person again, much less interact with them. They had gotten out of the church without walls before I did. So they were sort of out of my life. And again, what do you do when you're in a cult with people who have left? You don't associate with them. They're dead to you, remember? And I hadn't seen or talked to this person in many years. But to have someone approach me and tell me that my content had made some form of positive influence or impact on their life, it's extremely humbling, and I greatly appreciate it. So with all of that out of the way, let's take a look at the bite model of authoritarian control, section four, emotional control. Remember, we keep score. Each one of these behaviors 
is essentially a point. Keep up with how many points your group scores while we go through this list. When we get to the end of it, we'll add them all up, and we'll see where we land. Emotional Control Section 1 Manipulate and narrow the range of feelings. Some emotions and or needs are deemed as evil, wrong, or selfish. Based on what I've learned through my research of cults and my personal experience in one, it seems clear across the board that cults use two primary emotions to control their members. We've talked about in previous episodes the fish hooks that these groups use to control their members, and there are two hooks specifically implanted into these two emotions. Those two emotions are guilt and fear. A lot of times they're used in conjunction with each other, but I would be willing to say that most cult groups utilize the weaponization of fear and or guilt to chip away at each member's happiness, their inner peace, their self-worth, their very identities. And they do this by manipulating a person's fears or by guilt-tripping a person anytime that person does anything they believe is wrong. And they will relentlessly use these two things throughout your time within this group to manipulate your emotions. You know, that's the part that hurts. If anyone out there has ever had a genuine tear fall down their face uncontrollably, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Emotions are where you feel it the most. And if they can use fear and guilt to manipulate your emotions... They maintain control of your behavior, your information, and your thoughts. Everything we've talked about within the bite model leading up to this point only exists because emotional control is a part of the picture. This is demonstrably the most effective way to control a person. Cult leaders know this, and they've mastered the art of manipulating emotions to gain compliance and to achieve the desired physical results. While I was working on the outline for this episode, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to put this to the test in real time, and I'm going to do it right now. And I reached out to over half a dozen former Church Without Walls members, and I asked them all a very simple and straightforward question. When you were in the Church Without Walls, which of the two following emotions were used to manipulate or control you the most, fear or guilt? And the response was overwhelmingly guilt. It's the same behavior across the board. Good emotions are edged out and forbidden, and the two negative emotions, fear and guilt, are used to manipulate and control the member, and if at any point that member gets out of line in either their thought life or their actions... Emotional manipulation and control is implemented, and that member is quickly, and oftentimes painfully, brought back under control. Section 2. Teach emotion-stopping techniques to block feelings of homesickness, anger, and doubt. Whether it's the anguish of a family that's been separated, whether it's the fear of Armageddon starting any three minutes now, whether you're scared because you've been fed propaganda and lies 
that you're somehow being persecuted or hunted down. And the worst of all, at least in my personal experience, was doubting whether you doubt the validity of what's being taught or the morality and the overall direction of where the congregation is going. Even worse, you may have criticism and all of those valid emotions are suppressed and narrowed, like we talked about in section one, because of the undue influence these groups teach their members how to stop these feelings, these emotions, of sadness and anger and doubt, so that they're never even in your mind in the first place. In the case of religious cults, the members are often told that it's some sort of evil spirit or the devil or demons that are causing them to feel these emotions. We were often reminded of one verse from Luke 14 that says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and his kids, his brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This was a verse, one verse, a single verse that was taken and put on a pedestal and sort of made one of the main focal points of my former group. You may be beaten over the head constantly with 2 Timothy 3.12, and that verse says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. These are the words of Paul, and we're not going to go down a Paul rabbit trail at this point, but these types of verses within extremist religious cult groups, they make that one verse part of the bedrock of their foundation, and they can take or leave the parts about various other things. They want to focus on one specific area, and you see this in all of the Christian nationalist extremist cult groups, and that is they take anything that has to do with the end times, Armageddon, end of days, end of the world, and or the fact that the early church was in fact persecuted during that time. Section 3. Make the person feel that problems are always their own fault, never the leader's or the group's fault. This section is describing the fact that authoritarian groups place the blame of everything that goes wrong or bad in someone's life on that person and never on the leader or the group. This deflects blame so that when they do, in fact, start interfering with your life. A great example of this is within Scientology. When you're in Scientology and then you leave, you are considered what they refer to as a suppressive person. Jehovah's Witnesses call them apostates. It's the same thing. And then, when you leave the group, they engage in what is called theocratic warfare. Theocratic warfare is essentially the idea that a group can lie, cheat, steal, break laws, commit physical violence, financial crimes, evade their taxes, not comply with even the most basic county regulations all across the board. And they do all these things with a justification in their mind that they're doing it to further their group's goals. doesn't matter if this is a religious cult or a political cult. 
these cults use theocratic warfare to engage in unethical, immoral, and very oftentimes blatantly illegal behavior. So that's theocratic warfare in a nutshell. A lot of religious cults use the term theocratic warfare. Scientology uses the term fair gaming. When they engage in this behavior, when they take you to court, when you're tied up for years in legal red tape, in the case of the Mormon church, I believe they blew a few people up with a car bomb. There's a documentary on Netflix about it. It was over a document called the Salamander Letter. It was a document that was supposedly full of all this controversial information about uh, the history of the Latter-day Saints. I can't quite remember. I want to say that I think it later was found out that it was fake, like once they inspected it. But basically, at the time, it got people killed because cults are unglued and they do irrational, abnormal things. They killed people to cover up their corruption. And then when all this is said and done, guess whose fault it is? It's yours. You see how that goes full circle? You did something wrong. You stepped out of line. You voiced your opinion. And that was your fault. So this is a very destructive aspect of the bite model. We'll get into further detail in later episodes. But the next section ties perfectly into this one. And that is section four. Promote feelings of guilt or unworthiness. Such as subsections A through F. Identity guilt. You're not living up to your potential. Your family is deficient. Your past is suspect. Your affiliations are unwise. Your thoughts, feelings, and actions are irrelevant or selfish. Social guilt and historical guilt. For the sake of time, I'm not going to give any specific examples. But just understand, this is how these control techniques are fleshed out. And we're going to get into this in so much more detail because I've got a ton of examples. We've got video and audio clips. We've got literature. All surrounding cult groups directly guilting their members. So this section is basically explaining different ways that groups manipulate you emotionally to guilt you or make you feel worthless, make you feel like it's always your fault. So it's tying back into the previous section. It's giving us some overview examples, and I'm going to break down or zoom in a lot further to that in another episode. Section 5, instill fear, such as fear of sections A through F, thinking independently, the outside world, enemies, losing one's salvation, leaving or being shunned by the group, others' disapproval, and historic guilt. Again, there is so much substance here and so much content, it could be a completely separate channel with just me saying nothing and just playing audio, playing video, reading literature. So we're going to get into some of that later. But the things that were just listed were, again, ways that authoritarian cults manipulate and leverage fear to control their members. Section 6. 
extremes of emotional highs and lows, love bombing and praise one moment, and then declaring you a horrible sinner. This again can be seen over and over in videos and quote-unquote sermons, I guess, or seminars from some of these cult groups, the way that they build someone up and then, in a lot of times, subtle ways, tear them down. Again, it's always your fault. You're always the one wrong. You're always the one not good enough, not measuring up. Section 7. Ritualistic and sometimes public confession of sins. I'm not going to drag this out either because we've touched on it several times at this point, and the next time we bring it up will be when we zoom in closer. Let's make this short and sweet for the sake of time. You should not be telling anybody anything you do not feel comfortable telling them. Period. The rule of thumb is very simple, and if your group deviates from this, you have a big problem. No one should be forced or coerced, pressured, bullied, shamed, or scared into saying anything about anything to anyone ever. If we apply this concept across the board, we can begin to reel in these groups and hopefully bring them back to reality. And number eight, phobia indoctrination. Inculcating or instilling irrational fears about leaving the group or questioning the leader's authority. There's five subsections under this section, and again, like we've seen before in section four with the examples of guilt and how they leverage guilt against their members. Then we had section five with fear tactics that they use. This is more of the same when it comes to the fear because fear is so important and it is such a vital part of keeping a member controlled when they're in an authoritarian cult. They have to be scared of something. Subsection A. No happiness or fulfillment possible outside of the group. Subsection B. Terrible consequences if you leave. Hell, demon possession, incurable diseases, accidents, suicide, insanity, 10,000 reincarnations, etc. Subsection C. Shunning of those who leave. Fear of being rejected by friends and family. Subsection D. Never a legitimate reason to leave. Those who leave are weak, undisciplined, unspiritual, worldly, brainwashed by family or counselor, or seduced by money, sex, or rock and roll. And subsection E. Threats of harm to ex-member and family. And with that, we have concluded our first initial pass, our overview of the bite model of authoritarian control by Dr. Stephen Hassan. And hopefully it gives you a little bit of an idea how to look at a group, look at what they believe, look at their mission statement, their doctrines, whatever text they use, listen to what the leader is saying. Listen closely to lectures and speeches sermons, presentations, social media posts, content in general. Just pay attention to what the leader is saying 
how they act within the group, what their beliefs are, and then compare them to what we've talked about over the past four episodes. In staying in line with the emotional control theme, the clue for this episode is very simple. We know that cult groups use fear and guilt for members of all ages across the board, but there is an unnerving and very consistent trend, whether it be political cults, religious cults, cults of personality, like your Andrew Tate types. And that trend is these groups target children. The younger, the better. There are countless examples of cults treating children in a very specific way so that they can bring them up exactly how they want them within the guidelines and within the framework of the group's belief system, their doctrine, their goals, and all that. So if your group is targeting specifically children with emotional abuse, weaponizing their fear of hell, for instance, that's a good example, my youngest child is petrified that I'm going to go to hell. And it's one thing to have a religious belief system and beliefs about the afterlife and believing that those things are true versus using it in a way to intentionally scare kids and adults for that matter. But my kids are scared to death that I'm going to hell. And it's because hell, the concept of hell, has been weaponized in the specific cult that they're affected by. What's worse is the leader will scare the members when someone leaves, and he will forbid them from speaking with them or interacting with them at all. And the reason behind that is the evil spirits may crawl down his leg and across the floor and up your pant leg, and then the next thing you know, you're going to be questioning me. And then we have to ask the question... Are you even a true believer in the first place? They will use a combination of guilt and fear to manipulate you into not only following what they want you to do, but also not interacting with certain people because maybe you're not even a true believer if you can't stay away from the apostates, from the suppressive persons, from the infidels, or whatever term you want to put on a former member. So they use the guilt and the fear of interacting with former members, and they also use the fear of, were you even really ever truly a believer, to further manipulate that member while they're still in the group? Are you even saved? Well, gee, I mean, I hope so. I think so. What can I do to show you that I truly believe? What do I need to do? Tell me. It's fear. It's guilt, it's manipulation, it's control. And that, my friends, is what it's all about. We've discussed this repeatedly throughout this overview of the bite model and the difference between a cult group and a normal healthy group is the level of control that the leader or leadership has over the members. One last red flag you can look for when it comes to emotionally controlling young kids, especially in these groups, is they're very open about it. They're very open about the propaganda they push onto little kids specifically. Look at Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. They have a cartoon show aimed at young kids called Caleb and Sophia. 
It's propagandizing two young kids, teaching children while they're young. They teach their kids exactly what to think about the world around them, what to think about themselves, their family, who to associate, who not to associate with, everything we've discussed in the bite model. The leader of these groups are also simultaneously telling these kids, well, things like this. Number eight, make Christ the center of all your relationships. Surround yourself with people who reflect and encourage your devotion to God, not hinder it, malign it, or encourage you to downplay it. Graciously, but firmly, end any relationship, even on social media, pulling you from full devotion to Christ. Is there any wonder that people leave these cult groups totally and completely screwed up in the head? Not knowing what end is up or down? Not knowing how to feel about themselves or anyone else they know? They don't know what they believe. They don't know how to approach the world. Everything has to be rebuilt from scratch. And it's very confusing. But it's because of things like this. Indoctrinating kids at a, as young as possible, saying you are an, you're, you're worthless. You're horrible. You're a horrible sinner. There is nothing good in you. You're constantly reminded that you are, well... No better than filthy rags. A normal group encourages each other and supports each other for who they are. A normal group doesn't reprogram your personality into something they want. Cults use fear and guilt to manipulate you emotionally so that you become this new person, that you take on this new identity, and that your old self is replaced so that the new map of reality can take its place and you become a docile, obedient slave to this group. If you see this type of behavior, especially as it relates to little kids, get your stuff together and leave. He alone who owns the youth Gains the future. Adolf Hitler. My recommendation for this episode, a book by an absolutely incredible human being named Jill Duggar Dillard. The book is called Counting the Cost. It's a memoir that she wrote. Jill Duggar was one of the oldest Duggar family girls from 19 Kids and Counting fame. Let me give you a little bit of backstory real quick and a little bit of a spoiler alert. Since this overview series is almost finished, I'm going to shift gears on the podcast after next episode, and I'm going to do a couple episodes about my early childhood, then my teenage years, then my adult years, and then where I'm at now. It's going to be a four-episode series of my upbringing, my deconversion, all the way up until where I'm sitting right now. From the time I was born, as far as I'm aware, to the time I was probably about 10 years old, I was raised with a lot of influence from the IBLP. The IBLP is a cult, 110%. I'm going to flesh out the difference between adopting a policy of a cult 
and a cult having complete control over everything in your life. But without giving too much away or taking up too much time, I grew up heavily influenced in my younger years, my first decade, under the IBLP mandates, under their curriculum. I distinctly remember literature that I'm going to get into. So I have some experience in the group, and I know the type of constraints that the group pushed onto its members. I know the type of perversions that this group pushes as truth or as some sort of moral standard, and a lot of it is absolutely horrendous. But we're going to get into all that. The reason I bring it up is this book covers Jill Duggar's experience, how involved they were because of their parents. So if you get the opportunity, pick up Counting the Cost by Jill Duggar Dillard. Here's an additional little recommendation. Amazon Prime has a documentary series called Shiny Happy People. This is a documentary series, and it centers around the fake, fraudulent, dishonest, intentionally manipulative family led by Jim Bob Duggar and Michelle Duggar. But this documentary follows not only their involvement with 19 Kids and Counting and the, the scandal with the oldest son and his issues with touching little kids, having you know child abuse material on his computer, and then obviously the IBLP's involvement in their lives, the influence that the IBLP had over especially the women of the house. It's an amazing documentary. The reason I bring that up is you watch Jill Duggar giving her interviews for that documentary. You watch her husband, Derek. I don't know, I just saw in them the legitimate pain. There was one specific scene. There was an interview where they had asked her a question, and you can tell she's getting emotional. And I watched it in her face, and I just recognized the pain. World domination was the goal. If you have not gone through the basic seminar, I highly recommend it. IBLP. 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 The IBLP teachings aren't Christianity. There's something entirely different. We have, for every one of you, the answer. Thank you for agreeing to talk to us. There's a story that's going to be told, and I would rather be the one telling it. TLC created a PR show for Gothard's teachings. You've probably heard of the Duggar family. Everyone knew who the family was. We were part of IBLP as early as I can remember. The biggest feature of Bill Gothard's teachings is authority. Kids obey the parents, wives obey their husbands. Everyone obeys Bill Gothard. Gothard turned every father into a cult leader and every home into an island. I first read The Handmaid's Tale in college. I was like, this is my life. Homeschooling is kind of the linchpin of this whole project. The kids were not being well-educated. Instead of learning math, you're learning slut-shaming. The Institute raises little predators. Breaking news, a dark family secret is exposed. It's like the epitome of evil. Breaks my heart to think about the girls. Well, how deep do we go? Because that's a, that's a rabbit hole. This is much bigger than the Duggars. You give these kids training in political engagement, 
From there, you send them into the halls of Congress, into the White House as interns. They're playing the long game. What is going on here? The shiny, happy images is the sugar, and we're all high on it. They were just deceiving us all. The real story is a much bigger one. Now is the time. We have kind of just had to make our own decisions and um, realize that you can't change people. I have grown up on TV and my journey, our journey, has been a difficult one and one that I kind of grew into a new world um, where Derek and I were making decisions for our own family and it was proving pretty challenging for us. And so for a while I didn't want to write a book about it because it was so hard to write about and I love my family so much I wanted to take it very seriously and um, so, but when we finally decided to write the book, I felt like it was very important because I wanted to be a voice for other people who might be walking through similar situations, even though they might have not grown up on reality TV. Um, everybody faces challenges and adulting and all of the things, difficult relationships that you're having to navigate, learning to make healthy boundaries. Um, so I feel like this book was very important for us, um, especially for me to use my voice and my platform that I've been given um, to write about our story and hopefully help others find their voice or people who have found their voice to realize like they're not alone, um, to not feel isolated because I think when you feel isolated then you can oftentimes be a target for control and manipulation. Pick up counting the cost, spend a couple hours watching shiny happy people, Head over to YouTube and search Ambushed Apostate. Click subscribe. I'd really appreciate it. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, go back and catch up. As always, thank you sincerely for spending your time with me. I hope we've all learned something today. And until we come back for an episode about the Influence Continuum, my name's Seth, and this has been the Ambushed Apostate Podcast.